out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in a film studies course. Playing real fast and loose with the definition of a bunch there, buddy. Uh, yeah, a little bit, because, uh, well, I And mean, then there were two. And two is a bunch. And that's a couple. It's a couple. We're, 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 are we a couple now? I guess. Kind of. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, it is just Dalton and I here talking uh, about uh, the film Point Break. Everyone else died. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there were no podcasters harmed in the making of this uh, particular media network. Um, that's don't I, don't, we just got to tell people the truth, man. The they, tr- all, they all died in a tragic uh, group uh, skydiving accident. <laughs> it was, it was very unfortunate. They just, they kept wanting to push below a thousand feet. That's just really, really dangerous. You know, and that trick name they Caleb just, got. They, Caleb was. You know what? He was just chasing that last big wave. That last big wave. Uh, that's right, dear listener. We are talking Point Break, and uh, we are very, very excited uh, to be doing that. Before we get any further, I guess uh, I mentioned our names, but go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Hey, it's uh, me, uh, Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, this is your fucking wake-up call. I am an F. B.I. Agent. <laughs> That's uh, Thank you very much for that. My name is Dustin Sells, and I am out of quotes uh, for the film at this time. But we, well, I mean, I, I took the, the best one. Yeah, the, the one. The one. There are a couple, a handful of goodies. Well, there's uh, a l- well save your life, bro. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a handful <laughs> of goodies. Um, this is the, we're, we're recording in a new digs. This is the first time we've ever recorded at um, Studio HD. Uh, my my new my new apartment. I moved uh, since I was last on the air. That's a thing. It is a thing. I, I helped it happen. I know. And that was. And a then thing. you went and talked about uh, Wolf Wall Street while I puked my guts out. Yes, that was also a thing that happened. So we're back. Uh, sorry for the the delay. But uh, we're back. Yeah, we're back, and we're here doing what we've always done. If this is the first time you've tuned into the Good Trash Honor Cast, just to warn you as to how we go about doing this thing. This is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that does mean we were gonna, we're going to do some spoilers. There's going to be spoilers that are going to happen, but we're going to generally try to avoid them uh, for the first part of the show. We'll have a quick synopsis from the voice of the cinema. Um, in this case, it's now the voice of the Dalton Theater. And uh, from then on, we'll have a, a quick uh, thumbs-up, thumbs-down review from the two of us. We'll play a game when in which we discuss all things movie, the movie in question, and other movies in which there could be mild spoilerages of several intellectual properties um, as we approach that. And then uh, we will get down to business. And once that business time cue hits, you know it's spoiler territory and all bets are off. So you have been warned. So without any further ado, Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater, let's hear that synopsis. An FBI agent goes undercover. To catch a gang of surfers who may be bank robbers. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happens. Possibly. Possibly. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, the, the, whole, the whole, you know, sort of idea of the movie is uh, Keanu Reeves' character, Johnny Utah, was a big Ohio State football player. Great character name. 
<laughs> it is. It is. Well, I always think Johnny Unitas. It's. It sounds. Well, it's. A, it sounds like a fucking made up name. It does. But it's so fun. Yeah. It's such a great fake name. Yeah. And uh, and so Johnny is now um, because once one you know fails out of uh, sports because of knee injuries, one immediately goes to Quantico mm-hmm. and joins the FBI. A job that entails a lot of running. Yeah, a lot of running. At least in the first couple of years. Yeah, and also uh, weirdly. Uh, you know, he opens up by um, doing um, gun shoots in the rain without any equipment on. I, I, I always find that opening sequence to be just so bizarre. It's a little weird. It is. I mean, it, it's about how beautiful Keanu Reeves is. Is is really the yeah, point? He's a handsome guy. He is a handsome guy. And um, uh, our director Catherine Bigelow knew how to exploit that very, very well. But um, anyway, uh, that's that's a thing that happened, and uh, that's how the movie begins. But Dalton, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs review. Do you like the movie Point Break? Yeah, no, I, I think if if you're willing to meet Point Break on its level, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I had not seen this movie in so long, I wouldn't even say that I've seen it before, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah. I, I was a, a small child probably the last time I, I, I checked in with Point Break, uh, and I just remember skydiving and uh, bank robbing. I, I, bar- I knew there was surfing in it, but I didn't remember... Um, that's probably because most of the surfing's at the front half of this movie. There is quite a bit though, and it's all very well photographed and, uh, the skydiving, uh, takes over in the last half and that's also incredibly photographed. Um, the, the illusion of people being really airborne, uh, and then clearly not being really airborne is, is done quite effectively. And I think, I mean, really that's this film's strength. It's Catherine Bigelow's, uh, direction of action uh is is far and away the the strongest uh point of this film because uh people hadn't quite figured out how to use keanu yet and keanu hadn't quite figured out what he was doing yet um i'll go to bat keanu for keanu every day of the week um but i don't i don't think it was until probably 2005 people really figured out how to best utilize him i think throughout the 90s people were trying to make him be something he was not um, which is why he ended up uh, ended up in Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula, and yeah. um, as well as um, I've got much ado about nothing. Oh yeah, forget about him being yeah. in that. Yeah, he's yeah. like the villain. Yeah, Keaton's great. Michael Keaton's great in that. Yeah, Keaton's but, good in that too. Yeah, he's Dog Barry. Um, yeah, people just didn't know how to use 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 our guy, and I think that was a part of the problem. Um, he also was trying to. Here's the most ridiculous thing about this movie is the idea that keanu reeves is from fucking ohio yeah that's much more ridiculous than bank robbing surfers is the guy that talks like (laughs) fucking keanu reeves has never hit a wave before bro that's ridiculous that's fair um but again if you were willing to just enjoy how silly the central premise of this film is um how silly some of the performances are i think you're gonna have a great time i mean again it is fantastically shot i mean Catherine bigelow showing us very early in her career what the fuck she's about absolutely well very very good uh mr dalton stewart i have to say nearly the same sort of things this movie and i go way back uh i have an emotional relationship to this movie and silence of the lambs weirdly uh because of my first exposures to uh premium cable okay. i spent a summer and these were both in heavy rotation they in were, the early 90s absolutely yeah. and so as i was watching that frequently uh the those two movies are weirdly associated in my mind because i think i've double billed them more than once. They would pair, interestingly. Uh, well, weirdly, bizarre. They're both FBI movies. Okay, there's that. But otherwise, pretty schizophrenically. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> one's an action movie, one's a thriller. I mean, so they're still in the same, like, adrenaline, 
thrill-seeking film vein, but uh, totally different. Well, there's the Academy Award-winning performances of Silence of the Lambs yeah. versus you know Keanu and Patrick Swayze. Yeah, but I'll tell you what Silence of the Lambs doesn't have. It's Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers catching a fucking slug in the foot. That's true. Holy crap, that squib is... Gr- All the, the squibs in this movie are disgusting. Gross, they are yeah. They are gnarly. This, this movie has some of the most graphic gunshot wounds I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty intense. But I've always really, really liked it. I've always thought it was a whole lot of fun. Um, I've always been very much entertained by it. I have a lot of nostalgia that's sort of uh, yeah, yeah, tied yeah. up with that as well. But uh, upon the rewatch for the sake of the show, I'm watching this and I'm going, you know what? This is this is good action cinema. This is this is a lot of fun. This is great to be looking at. Uh, the, the performances are just the perfect pitch of over the top exactly. that they need to be. Yeah, Busey's great. He's having a really fun oh, time. Oh, man, Busey is so, – I, for, I forgot Busey was in the movie. Uh, I forgot John C. McGinley was in the movie. I oh, remember yeah, yeah. Busey was in it. I totally forgot J- John C. McGinley was in this, playing the same kind of character he always plays. Always, yeah. yeah always and forever. Well, stash or stash less or stash full. Yeah. Well, he's, he's good at what he does. Yes, he is. And so, He's the best there is at what he does. What he does isn't very nice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really not. Uh, I'm sure he's a very sweet person in real life. Uh, I, I like to think so. I'm going to pretend so. He was very soulful as Dr. Cox on uh, Scrubs. Oh, I don't watch Scrubs. It's it, that's fine. I'm not. It's a, come and gone. I'm not anti. But I'm just, no, I, you don't need to go. Why are we talking about Scrubs? I don't know either. John C. McGinley. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, yeah, but I like it a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I love the action. I love. Uh, you mentioned this off air, and I think you're absolutely right. There's a foot chase scene. Oh that yeah. Is, I mean, I don't it's know, dynamite. I don't know how much credit I want to give to Catherine Bigelow's direction or to the editors. Ability the editors to and the sew DP. That together, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Here's the as 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 I was watching it. I was thinking, you know, this is not the first pre-digital. I mean, foot chases with a handheld camera are much easier now, right? Sure. Digital cameras are a lot more portable than 35-millimeter cameras. This was not the first foot chase shot in 35-millimeter. Sure. Um, but, man, is it impressive. And it's the er, the early 90s, so they had smaller rigs by that point in film history. But it's still kind of astonishing that yeah. they were able to pull it off. Apparently, they used, like, um, like a basically, like, a, a makeshift gun sight. Uh, and gyros- gyroscopes to keep it level and like a makeshift gun sight so he, the DP could get a rough idea of what he was shooting. Um, wow. Because he couldn't actually look in the camera and run. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is intense. Yeah. That is crazy. All I know is that uh, one moment throughout this, Raw Riggin throws a gun at Keanu Reeves yeah. and that is yeah. the best moment ever. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I love, I love the iconography of uh, using these ex-presidents. That's great. As, uh, as, as bank robbing persona. Um, that's, that's fun. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of fun with this movie. I am definitely biased pro. Dalton clearly also is biased pro. So, uh, let's just talk a little bit about how we can be, we're going to continue this conversation, how other listeners can be part of this conversation with us, Dalton. Do we have some, uh, internet means by which this can happen? We do, as a matter of fact, Dustin. Um, all of our social media. We, we do more than one show uh, here at the Good Trash Media Network, although most of those are on hiatus currently. We are in the middle of some uh, corporate restructuring, as it were. Um, but uh, if you want to know what we're about, you can go to goodtrashmedia.com. That is the home for the archives for every single show we've ever done, uh, including this show, which we've been doing for, what, five years now? Something like that. Um, 
Although the archive over there for this show is not in full. You would have to uh, go over to the Podbean, but that's a whole other story entirely. You just you can shoot us a message on Twitter. We'll tell you to do that. Uh, but you can find the Good Trash Media, the Good Trash Genre Cast, the People's History of Film, the Film Syllabus, uh, Back to the Movies. Those are the, the big three, or the, the big four right now, although uh, really it's the big three since uh, People's History is on a definite hold at this point. But uh, that's where all the good stuff lives is GoodTrashMedia.com. You can engage with us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GTM and on Twitter at Good underscore Trash. Uh, you can also always rate and review this show uh, and any of the other shows on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you – however and wherever you consume your, your podcasts. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, I think there's enough of this foolishness that's gone on so far. I think it's time to, to play the game. Time to play the game. This week's game is a little bit of a uh, uh, adjustment in the way that we do our gameplay because uh, a recent event happened that's a big deal to us. Yeah, shortly. uh, It was right after you guys uh, recorded the uh, the last episode with Arthur and Caleb. Um, We found out that Bill Paxton had passed away. and that's a real bummer because he is kind of uh, one of like the – if we built a, a Mount Rushmore of good trash actors, yes. it would probably be Paxton because he's in all kinds of great genre films. Uh, everything from, uh, I mean, Twister, which we've talked about on the show, Aliens, which we've talked about on this show. And that, that brings why we thought it was appropriate to go ahead and talk about uh, Paxton was uh, he was a collaborator of uh, Catherine Bigelow and her then at the time this film was made uh, her then husband James Cameron who was also a producer on this film uh, frequent collaborator of James Cameron's and an occasional collaborator of Catherine Bigelow so we thought uh, why not just talk about about Bill um, it seems appropriate so we just wanted to both highlight uh, a couple of uh, our, our favorite Bill Paxton performances. Righto, righto. And I, I, the first thing I have to say out of the gate is um, one of the things that I think is most impressive of Bill Paxton as a genre film actor is that he has uh, a rare distinction of being killed by the trifecta. The Terminator. The Terminator. The Predator. The Predator. And a xenomorph. The and alien. A, and an alien. And so, you know, having been part of all of That's those. That's impressive. It really is. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, uh, he's barely in T2, dear listener, if you're thinking you haven't gone through the IMDb. I think it's figure. just T1. I think he's one of the punks or something. I thought he was a punk, but I, was it a punk? Oh, you know what? It is a punk in yeah. T1. It's not. It's T1, not T2. I'd run them together because yeah. he goes to the biker bar first in T2. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's the and two it, punks at like the radio. I'm almost 100% sure. It's, it's like a bus station or something. Yeah, is that right? It's been a couple of years since I've seen T1, but I'm almost certain yeah, you're one right. of the three punks. Yeah, you're right. No, I, I remembered him as one of the punks, but yeah. for some reason I transposed yeah. it over to Terminator 2. But he's, uh, he's one of the cops in Predator 2. I think mm-hmm. that's probably where your, your transposition happened was yes. in Predator 2. And then uh, obviously... Who could forget him in Aliens, man? Yeah, yeah. Game over, man. Um, <laughs> I say on a regular basis, uh, how do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's great. Anybody who uh, has ever wanted to throw some workplace sass has used that one. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, he, he has a, a Rolodex of great quotes. I mean, it, he just is a ton of fun. And uh, so rarely got to, to play a leading man, but I think when he did, he, uh, he really made it work. Um, for me, anyway. 
Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Another pre- favorite performance, you know, as I've heard and seen some of the in in-memori- memoriam sort of things being said about Paxton lately. Um, they, they 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 do talk about the big films like your Twisters, your Titanics. They, they mm-hmm. again the, the the big collaborations with the uh, Bigelow Cameron, you know, uh, powerhouse of the yeah. uh, '80s uh, up and through the '90s. But uh, one of my favorite performances, I, I think, probably where I fell in love with him as an actor is in Tombstone. Uh, where he plays uh, Kurt Russell's brother, Wyatt Earp's brother. And uh, I think he's just really – he's very sweet. He's also quite tough. And uh, this this sort of way that he's able to negotiate all that is, is just really kind of impressive to he's me. He's great in it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my favorites is actually one I just uh, – again, going back to the, the Cameron family uh, – is a, a, an earlier performance for him and a very early film for – Catherine Bigelow, and that's the film Near Dark, oh, yeah. which I just recently caught up with, and he is a ton of fun in that movie. He is having the time of his life. He's looking sexy as hell. He's just wearing a leather jacket and no shirt for a big portion of the movie, and he's just like covered in blood because uh, he's a fucking biker vampire. Oh, it's great. That's yeah, awesome. he's having a ton of fun. Um, I'm also a really big fan of him in a film that I I don't know that many people have seen it, uh, but it's a uh, an, an underseen film, uh, Sam Raimi pre-Spider-Man, uh, A Simple Plan, which is like a Sam Raimi riff on a Coen Brothers type film. Um, and uh, he's great. He's the lead in that. And um, it's it's a great lead performance. It's very soulful. And like he's just got a a, a folksy charm to him. Um, that and, and again, in A Simple Plan, he's, he's just fantastic. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a regular folk stumble across money kind of movie. But uh, he's great in it, and um, he has some scenes with um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton in that film, as well as uh, Bridget Fonda. Uh, those are his his two co leads, and um, they're all great. But uh, it's really fun to see him in in those lead roles because again, he didn't get to do them very often. I mean, he was he was uh, a professional second banana, uh, yeah. but he was damn good at it. Um, one that uh, I think. I don't know that pe- I don't hear people talking about Apollo thirteen very often anymore. Oh, yeah, which I think is so an, good. In he, it, yeah. Well, the whole film is incredibly good, but he's great in it as well. And uh, again, I think that's just the kind of career that he had was um, he was always great, and he helped elevate everything that he was in, uh, including the the fucking Mighty Joe Young remake. <laughs> I mean, he was just he was always fantastic all the time, forever and always. Well, a recommend I'd like to make, I guess, based on, again, the things I've seen in there going on about a film I haven't seen, Dalton. So maybe we can get to this okay. together at some point. Um, but I understand that the film Frailty is... It's real fun. And it's the one of two or three films that he directed. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Frailty. It's it's weird and uh, silly in a little in, in some ways, but it's, it's pretty well uh directed i think um just in, in terms of visually um kind of w- weird elliptical kind of storytelling and, and cutting back and forth between two timelines um i like frailty a lot um i would forgotten that you knew that i had seen it because i would forgotten that we talked about it before i i would recommend you catch up with it and i think i think it's a film that's probably going to grow in popularity now that he's passed um just because it's it's a big meaty role for him to sink his teeth into, and uh, as well as having been the director of it. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely want to check it out. But we do love us and Bill Paxton. We are from Oklahoma. Twister is uh, really kind of a culturally important film here. Uh, it gets it gets played. Yeah, on home video and uh, through rental services here um, throughout the month of May, a lot in this particular state because <laughs> that's our tornado season. 
Um, I don't know if you saw the thing on the internet where all the uh, storm chasers across Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma spelt BP out yeah. with their locations, and so they have like the little dot where their yeah, where their, their GPS is there, and it's, that was a cool thing. It was very sweet. It was no, I, I thought it was, it was very touching. By the way, the other film that he dire- the other feature film that he directed was uh, the greatest game ever played, the golf movie oh. with, oh, with uh, uh, Sh- She of the Beef. Um, Sheila Beef wasn't Jesus in it too? Jim Caviezel? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, I'm, I know Elias. No, uh, I'm thinking of, was in it. I'm thinking of a different movie. Okay, but uh, yeah, I think that was the only other uh, feature film he directed, uh, apart from a couple of shorts and apparently an episode of Saturday Night Live, which is really f- interesting to me. Um, yeah, uh, a very early one, but uh, Frailty's great, man. Yeah, I it's it's one that I always recommend people check out. I. I I, I'm going to not give plot t- details other than to say it's a a thriller, um, but I, I think it's an incredibly solid film. Uh, I've seen it two or three times, and I like it a lot. Um, it's it's something else. I, 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 I'll, I'll just leave it at that. It's something else. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, there you go, dear listener. We love us some Bill Paxton, and uh, we're sure you do too. Can you tell us a little bit on social media about your favorite Paxton performances slash films, uh, other um, Paxton trivia, marginalia, um, errata, whatever it is that you happen to have? We'd love to hear that all via those magical means that we all know as social media. But I think now, guys, it is time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is, as always, analysis. I'm very, very excited to be having a, more of a conversational uh, kind of analysis yeah, today. Um, we're, you're going to see a little bit of a shakeup in the format. It, it probably is going to be uh, just Dustin and I most weeks for a while. Um, we, we, you know, we'll have the occasional uh, guest host pop in. Alexandra Bohannon is, as always, a part of this show, but she's got some stuff going on right now. So it'll probably just be Dustin and I for a while. So instead of... Um, the soliloquies you're probably used to, um, Dustin and I always go from the cuff anyway, so we'll probably be a little bit more conversational with our analysis for, uh, quite a while. Uh, so, uh, let us know what you think, how, how you feel about that, but I think that's how we're going to do things for, from here on out for the foreseeable future. I, I am going to let you make something of a preamble though. I'm just going to simply ask a question. So, um, movie point break, right? Yeah. Um, kind of gay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Super gay. Hella gay. <laughs> tell, tell me um, why. Well, it's, it's this weird thing that I don't, you don't see it as much anymore. Um, but there seemed to be in the eighties and nineties, right? There seemed to be, I can't think of any other films off the top of my head, uh, because I'm a bad person and I don't do research for our listeners. Uh, <laughs> but there did seem to be a thing of the hero being with a woman that the, the antagonist had used to be with. So there, they had this weird way. I mean, we'll call it, uh, we'll call it what the street lingo is. They're, they're Eskimo brothers, um, which is gross and offensive, but yeah. I don't know another word for it. So that's what we'll call it as a surrogate for them having sex. It always, right. and that's how it always comes across to me. Anytime, Two characters who butt heads in a film have had sex with the same person. It is always a surrogate for the, those two male characters having had sex with each other. Um, and you don't see it quite as often anymore. Um, I, I, I don't think – I can't think of a, a recent film that, that does that kind of thing. 
but throughout the 80s and 90s, it always seems like, again, Top Gun is a great example uh, of, of that kind of dynamic between Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise. Although they both had not slept with They him. had not both slept yeah. with Kelly McGillis. I'm just talking about the dynamics specifically. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's it, really... And it is absolutely gay as well. Yeah. Th- this is the most notable one, though, because it, it comes across even more where it's almost like they have this shared re- sexual relationship with uh, Lori Petty's character. Um, and that's why I think Point Break comes across even more so than films like Top Gun because it is explicitly a film about these two men who love each other fighting each other. And they, they I mean, I, credit where credit is due. There, there is a, an acknowledgement of their platonic love, um, but it definitely feels romantic in certain ways. Uh, just uh, the way that uh, Swayze acts as a mentor, the way that Bodhi acts as, as a sort of spiritual guide uh, to Johnny Utah does feel... Um, very sexual uh in a lot of ways um also i mean yeah they 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 tussle in the on the beach at the end of the film that's yeah. that's their ultimate uh climax and um the ultimate um consummation of their love is that fight on the beach well okay here i i, I i'm with you on that but i'm i also have a different thought okay okay there's there's the famous moment which is uh you the, know well okay we're gonna talk about the the have uh the uh, hot fuzz have you ever uh fired your gun in the air while screaming right yeah it's he's got him dead to rights he can end the whole movie about an hour in right and instead he lets him go yeah well and, and it, that's that's the love and it well it's also their breakup and what do you do yeah. when you break up you know you shoot your gun yourself yeah and not into somebody else. Oh, oh, God. Yeah, yeah, I love it when you get phallic with firearms. Well, I mean, they are phallic symbols, right? Fair, but that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I, I Again, I think it's the, the longing scream is really the more uh, apt point. But well, what, uh, Does not one usually accompany the other? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Boo-wee, uh, this is a salty show. Um well, yeah, I, I can't saying. look at you right now. Um, <laughs> Don't break eye contact. Keanu Reeves <laughs> masturbating in the LA River. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. But, yeah, this that is one of the most famous shots of this film. And you're right. That is the breakup, though. Yeah. That, that is the breakup. Is Well, it's Keanu admitting to himself uh, that he that he loves Bodhi. And, he because, can't, and they can't be together. Now, if you're like, well, these fucking idiots, he just didn't shoot Bodhi. Because Bodie knew where Lori Petty was at, and if he killed Bodie, blah 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 blah. Well, that's before that's that. Before that, first of all, yes. exactly. Uh, that is this is before he is sure that Bodie knows who he is, right? He he doesn't know that Bodie got a good look at him during that foot chase. That's way before. I'm telling you right now, listener, they love each other yeah. deeply, truly, madly, deeply. Yeah, and um, again, it, it is a hallmark, I think of 80s uh, and 90s uh, action cinema is the unrequited gay love story throughout a lot of these films. And uh, I think it's great. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, I, I long for the day where we can get far enough as a, as a society that an American action film will just go ahead and totally play that relationship for what it is because I'm excited about that. I think that's going to be an interesting film when we finally make the subtext text. Uh, because when you do that, then you get new subtext, and we right. can stop playing. And again, th- this has become kind of old hat at this point. Um, a lot of that has to do with the fact that you don't really have that any that that strong villain role a lot of the times a- anymore. Um, 
I mean, looking at later in Keanu Reeves's career, which is a, a career full of fantastic action films, um, yes, Dennis Hopper is a compelling villain in Speed, but they don't have the same kind of it is a purely antagonistic relationship. Right. And that's where you see the changes in the mid nineties. I think villains become much more sinister. Uh, don't get me wrong. You've got plenty of mustache twirlers in the eighties. Uh, the, the villain in commando, which is a late is 89, I think yeah, 80, well, 89 to 92. Sides in 1990 in total recall. Exactly. You, you start to see, I was specifically thinking of, uh, the guy, the stick around guy. I can't remember the, the mustache guy that, uh, that uh, Arnold fights in Commando. Oh, right. I the would, thing, yeah. It gets much more antagonistic um, throughout the course of action cinema, but especially we fast forward in Keanu Reeves' career post-speed, we get to the Matrix trilogy, which is you know him and Hugo Weaving, uh, although there are some penetrative acts between the two of them throughout those films. There are. I don't feel like that subtext is there. Though, no, it's not. Those, yeah. I, again, that that's just that, that you're looking for where, where it isn't. Right. And especially you get to... Um, the, the modern um, Keanu-sance with the John Wick films, which are masterpieces um, of action <laughs> cinema. Uh, there, there are interesting villains in those films, but they're hardly um, as compelling as Patrick Swayze as Bodhi. I mean, they're just not. Um, they don't have as much internal life. And I, I think that's a big part of why that subtext comes out so strongly is because so much of this film is about the relationship between Bodhi and Johnny Utah. And I, that's why it becomes so easy to find that kind of thing, right? Right. I think so. And I think I think actually we already have the franchise in place right now for this full-on gay subtext to just go ahead and come well, out. Well, I think the, the films where it's most common now is the Fast and the Furious franchise. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's going to be Vin Diesel and The Rock. Well, it's it's it, it was it was Vin Diesel. And again, I can't believe we've been having this conversation and that didn't even click for me. It's The Fast and The Furious, which is a very blatant rip off of point break yeah it's it's paul walker and vin diesel and that's the most recent film i can think of where who is paul walker in love with vin diesel's sister mm-hmm. um and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about fast five um i i think that is the most recent example of this and yeah later in the franchise it becomes about the rock and and uh, come fast five uh, it becomes. Uh, I'm I'm saying that on purpose a lot. Yeah. Uh, it, it becomes the the Rock and Vin Diesel, uh, especially now that Paul Walker's passed. But yeah, I mean that's the natural evolution of this thing. Is uh, it's it's become not just about um, th- this uh, homoerotic, uh, quasi platonic love, but it's become about a family unit. It's yeah. not just about uh, two men who wish they could kiss each other. Uh, it is about uh, the family that these people grow around each other. And I think you're right. I think those films are the natural extension of uh, the Point Break uh, love. It's just we're almost there. And I have to think also. I would spend. This. I would go see Fast Nine a hundred times if it just ends with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel just laying a big smooch on each other. Yeah, that would be Those amazing. Big old cue ball boys. I have to think also that there's some decision making uh, on the part of other artists that are involved in the film. Mm-hmm. Anthony Kiedis and Flea, um, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, I, Flea's not in this. Is, is Flea not one of the other surfers also? No, it's just Anthony Kiedis. Oh, okay. There, I, yeah, there is a guy that kind of looks like okay, Flea. I, it is not him. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Flea shows up randomly and shit all the time. Yeah, he yeah, does. You would yeah. think it would be, but no, it's just Anthony Kiedis. But it, even then, the, the decision to be in the film, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, his sexual orientation being, you know, uh, a known, known quantity. Mm-hmm. So um, I have to think that perhaps he was uh, somewhat aware also and wanted to be a part of this kind of film. I wonder if it reads on the page like that, though. and I, 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 I doubt it does. I, I, I feel like that really is Bigelow and Swayze and uh, Reeves 
Um, I feel like it's the three of their collaboration together. I, I, I would be shocked if it reads like that on the page. I would be curious to know the chicken and the egg of that conversation. I would, and too. If, if they figured out that subtext and they cast him, mm-hmm. or they cast him as they were figuring out the subtext. Yeah, I would be quite curious. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's not the only interesting thing about this film. There is a lot going on. Uh, but I find it to be one of the more interesting films. And as somebody who watches a lot of action movies, uh, trust me, I watch... It's, 90% of my film consumption uh, could somehow be categorized as action. A lot of them have a, a, a downright comical sometimes amount of gay, gay subtext. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about the film is, is the fact, you know, this is a taboo thing that we're discussing right mm-hmm. now. I mean, especially in the uh, 80s. Um, not now, but we, in 91, yeah, much yeah, more yeah, so. Yeah, into yeah. the 90s. It was definitely a thing that was off limits and no action hero, action star could actually, you know, it couldn't it couldn't be text. It would be, it would yeah. be troublesome. And you see that uh, a little bit more in television now, I think. You, yeah. you have... Uh, uh, Omar, I mean, is the first one that comes to mind. There are a couple, you know, premium cable shows frequently have badasses who uh, are also gay, um, but you still don't see it in big films anymore. Yeah, uh, yet anyway, um, you, I have, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, the day is coming, but um, part of that is the sort of societal creation of these taboos, mm-hmm, you know? exactly, and, and that uh, human beings have whatever urges that they have. However, um, you know, with the equation with being penetrated, with being demasculated, and all yeah. that bullshit. And, and we're wired in certain ways, and, and it, there's a certain uh, extent to which our nature is at war with, um, you know, the culture that surrounds us. Yeah. And uh, the the film itself is having a um, it's having that conversation, but it's also having a much broader conversation where um, Keanu Reeves' uh, character is becoming connected to the sea. He's well, he's, be- he's yeah, he's becoming very aware of. Uh, himself as a spiritual being in a way that he was not when he decided to join the FBI. And I think that's part of um, that, that journey. Um, here's, here's the thing. There's a reason uh, a lot of like spiritual gurus end up being weirdos who uh, just fuck a lot of people. It's because it, that kind of bond really does uh, open people up with each other emotionally. Right. Um, so I, again, I don't think we are we're forcing gay subtext where there is none, because Bodhi is teaching Johnny Utah to be aware of himself in the world in a way that he's not already. And you're right; it's a big part of um, Johnny Utah's nature being against the nature of the world that he has found himself in. Right. Right. And, and more broadly, civilization itself is something of an alienating experience in general. And so uh, it's not just again his sort of uh, sexuality and whatever's going on with that. It's just this idea. And I think Bodhi says the line: uh, these people on the interstates in their metal coffins, you know, crawling to work through gridlock. That um, culture itself is a it's it's a it's a violence that is sort of imposed on society. And that we see um, with the two characters, with Swayze's character and with Breeve's character. They are in some ways uh, they're wrestling against the violence of society, trying to find some way to connect to something more spiritual, something more deep, something um, a, a bit more animalistic and primal. And uh, for them, that ends up being the sea. And I, I was thinking a lot about a couple essays by John Epstein, uh, the French filmmaker from the 1930s. He made a bunch of documentary films uh, about uh, these islanders uh, living off the coasts of France, and uh, they're sort of quasi-British, quasi-French folks, and they're the, the very interesting sort of documents. But he's talking a lot about how we, we, we get the sense, um, especially through cinema, that nature speaks. And I was thinking about how Bigelow shoots those surfing mm-hmm. scenes, that you can really, you get this real sense that part of uh, Swayze's uh, uh, the word I'm looking for, I guess, is expertise or competence, that his competence is founded on a, a lot of ability to sort of hear the rhythms of the sea, that he's able to at least respond in some way to what 
what nature is saying. Well, and he has this whole thing of uh, you, you still don't get what surfing's about, do you? It's not about mastering the wave. It is about being one with the, the nature. Yeah, and it's something of an ideal um, that's shared. Now, Epstein would go further and say, yes, indeed, nature is speaking to us. Now, uh, the current, there's a whole discourse now called eco-critical theory mm-hmm. um, that exists uh, right now. And they would furthermore say that, uh, for the most part, yes, indeed, nature is speaking, but it does not speak our language. It does not speak in our rhythms, and therefore it's unintelligible to us all. And uh, so there's a certain distantiation that's like required of of that moment. But the film doesn't really go that far as much as it says that you are are in fact alienated also by culture that it imposes these violences and so uh Bodhi wants to live this life where he is closer to the sea but in order to do that he has to commit acts of violence and uh, go about his life as a bank robber uh to do that and at the same time Reeves has got to be the sort of law enforcement agent and his his uh status as as an FBI agent uh, his status is what keeps him from really being able to connect fully with the sea it, it it's something that's like a, a block in their relationship relationship yeah and and you know when he gets in too deep so to speak you know to use another movie line um or that uh dalton made a gesture at me that was somewhat obscene uh, uh yes <laughs> but he's not lying uh but as as that happens uh he he again has to sort of be at war with this and what ends up happening with reese's character as they finally have their final confrontation and what also happens with bodhi is you see a, a rejection of, of sort of both of those sort of romanticisms that culture's not enough for uh, Keanu Reeves' character. And though he's been able to catch his man as an FBI guy, mm-hmm. he's got to throw his badge in the sea and give up the job and uh, try to find something else. Um, where uh, Bodhi is now feeling like he's in this place where he can really finally connect to, to nature and is doing everything he can to avoid uh, being part of culture, nature ends up killing him. Right. Well, and I, I think there's something interesting to be said for, yes, the, the acceptance of his fate uh, and choosing to die by uh, the na- by nature as opposed to uh, the nature of human beings, uh, mm-hmm. the, the much more primal nature that is uh, just the planet. Um, I think there's something interesting that speaks to the hypocrisy of Bodhi, though, uh, and that yeah. is his unwillingness to accept that he is responsible for all of the deaths in this film. Uh, with the exception, obviously, of the shootout the drug house, which uh, does not really service the plot at all. It's just totally badass. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's good red herring. Yeah, and it is f- fucking bitching. Uh, what's, here's the deal. I, I wonder – I'm going to put a pin in what I was just talking about for a moment. Um, I wonder if it is a good red herring because knowing – I mean, that this is what Point Break is about, right? It's, a, it's Swayze versus Reeves. I wonder if that isn't a cultural touchstone, though. If it's a good red herring, if you're seeing the film not knowing that. Because I feel like it's pretty fucking obvious from the word go that Swayze is the bank robber. Right? Uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember I'm a point curious. in my life not knowing that that was the way it went Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just – that's part of the logline of the film. Right. Right, is that it, Swayze is this quasi-antagonist. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, to go back to um, Bodhi's really kind of – Again, westernized version of Eastern ideas. Uh, yes. I, I mean, it's kind of a cliche at this point to make jokes about uh, L.A. and yoga, um, right? But – or really any white people in yoga – um, at this point, it's it's not even like a an interesting observation at this point. Well, then it's on the nose. In ninety one, it was a little bit more interesting, but yeah, it, it is a bit on the nose. But it's it's uh, this guy who thinks he is like so evolved beyond Western capitalism, and yet 
uh, is imposing his violence upon others to take what is theirs because he wants it because he would rather surf all the time. And that's not really giving up, you know, your attachment to earthly possessions and being one with nature. That's still, he still wants to be comfortable and chase the waves. Um, because that's its own form of comfort. Yes, you're living on the beach and hanging out and just... But you're also renting these giant houses and throwing these mad parties. And guess what? Booze and dope aren't free. Right. Um, so I, I find that interesting about him as a character. Um, and the film doesn't really do anything to to really reckon with that. Um, but I, I think it's fun that it's on the table to think about. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think Bigelow, um, coming back to this idea mm-hmm. uh, of the nature thing, is that she really desperately wants to uh, make us connect much more to that life. You can see that the cinematography is is, is, is violently different if you side-by-side side interior city shots yeah. uh, versus – The car chases and things like that. Car chases or just stuff that's going on in the FBI uh, crime lab and the you know the cubicles and those kind of things. Versus the surfing and skydiving scenes. Yeah, this th- is this, this colder, bluer hue that's mm-hmm. from, that seems to carry everything. And then when it's in the city and it's more of that golden light that yeah. is just you know off the pavement in Los Angeles, you sort of can't avoid that sort of brownness that goes with it. There's a dinginess there yeah. as opposed to a goldenness that happens in beach shots that might be similarly yeah. on the color pal on the color wheel, mm-hmm. but they're not the same. Well, I think the most stark one is when they um they the, the first skydiving sequence. I think that's one of the most stark because it's that sky is just so blue. Yeah. Uh, and they've got those, you know, salt flats underneath them or whatever it is. Um it's just so blue. Um but I, I think you're right. I think she is making a point about um, that difference you know, visually um, or her, and her, her and her DP. But I, again, I, I am fascinated by Bodhi's proposed oneness with nature. And yet there is also this uh, engagement in violence and this engagement in uh, materialism that I find uh, – uh, directly contradicts what he says he's about, which I find interesting. Well, and that, that is sort of the big uh, thesis of a lot of the new eco-criticism that's going on mm-hmm. right now is that you cannot really separate nature from culture. There is no difference between them, that that culture and nature are always enmeshed now, in one You've been another. saying culture a lot, and I know what you mean by that just because I hang out with you, but I, I wonder if you could kind of codify that a little bit for the listener because it doesn't mean what it sounds like it means all the in this kind of context. Yeah. Culture is that which human beings create. Exactly. It, 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 yeah. So culture is, I mean, obviously culture is everything from hip hop to Ford Explorers. You know, it's it's all the things uh, that we put together, the way that we put together our social mores in a culture. In the abacus of, and mini golf. Yeah, abacus, mini golf, and uh, Buddhism. You know, if you want to put all of those things together. Um, yeah. That's, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about culture. And you cannot separate one from the other. And there is a sense in which uh, both of these characters are trying to find some sort of separation. They're unable to negotiate it. And that sort of lack of negotiation ambiguity at which the film ends, it actually makes, it lends itself really uh, well uh, to, again, sort of Timothy Morton's thesis of ecology without nature, that there is no nature. There's just human being interaction with uh, the natural world or with the, uh, again, sort of what we've done with the world to create art and poetry and architecture and, you know, Starbucks. Well, to to get really engaged with uh, a bit of um, what you could call ecological nihilism um, that I think is uh, quantified really well in, in the, the film or the series True Detective, which we talk about all the time because it's so much fun. Um, you know, the, the Russ Cole uh, character played by Matthew McConaughey, the 
the the real paradox of mankind is that nature created something of nature created something that is simultaneously of it and apart from it, um, which I, I think really is the crux of what we're talking about here. Yes, and, and I just think that uh, the show, the True Detective, does a really good job of kind of really boiling down that idea to that very simple statement. Right. I still need to get to that show. Ah, that, I forget you haven't watched it, but yeah. that's 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 yeah. I mean, that's like episode one. Is it? Yeah, okay, they're, they're dropping nuggets like that real early on. That's fun. All uh, I know is times a flat circle. Yeah. Well, that's, oh, that's a fun sequence. That's too. what I'm told anyway. Uh, here's the thing, man. That fucking it became so funny to say that, but really, th- that whole yeah, man. You're missing out. <laughs> it just became fun to like riff on that and just be, to like, oh, Tom's Flood Circle Man. But the way that that is used in the in the actual television show is in the the sequence of events in which that is said is very interesting. Um, and uh, another film about uh, cops and male friendship. Yeah. Boom, we brought it back around. There you go. Good at them segues. That's right. And, you know, that that is what we do here. It's why we do what we do. And we now come to the point in our show where we have to make a verdict, though. We have to make a decision mm-hmm. uh, regarding the film Point Break. So I've got to ask you, Dalton. Yeah. Shell for trash, else or instead? Man, this... I'm going to go ahead and say shelf because I don't... I mean, it, yes, there are tons of better action, American action films from the early 90s, right? There, But this is, number one, I'm going to go ahead and say that foot chase alone, the iconography of Carter, Nixon, Reagan, um, and Ford storming a bank with shotguns, like all that kind of shit alone, um, that that cultural cachet, is, that's worth it, right, to yeah. me. Like that, that clout um, is worth it. Uh, but also uh, to honor Catherine Bigelow as one of the finest action directors uh, of her generation, um, who is just astonishing. And really, I mean, this in Near Dark was before. I think Near Dark was her first film. Um, I could be wrong about that. That feels right. But I mean, Near Dark's like 87. This is 90, 91. I mean, she just out of the fucking gate showed showed you what was up. Um and went on to direct two Oscar-nominated films, um, both of which are definitely dramas, but have some of the most competent action scenes that uh, I think I've ever seen. Uh, the Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, obviously, one of which we just recently discussed. Right. Uh, but again, I, I think uh, for her importance as an American action director, uh, which I, I don't know if we've actually talked about this on the show much lately, but really over the last two months or so i've just kind of been obsessed with film scholarship faction films which obviously our listeners of the show know that i'm obsessed with action movies in general but i've really started to like get on a soapbox about how important they are uh and finding them really just as important as any other kind of film so i think for those reasons alone it's shelfable um, again, uh, films, what, what should you watch with it? Obviously more Catherine Bigelow films and your darks already been discussed both just now. And when we were talking about Bill Paxton, um, zero dark 30, which we discussed a couple weeks ago. Yes, obviously. But what, what else is going to be interesting for you? Um, I think you should check out a, a really underrated let's, let's div dive into the Keanu Reeves oeuvre, um, a really underrated Keanu Reeves film and performance Constantine, uh, oh, yeah. which I think, Man, what an underrated movie. I just rewatched it recently. It, it holds up so well. Oh, I like it so much. And he's great in it. He is Keanu Reeves is fantastic in it. He is really quite good. Peter Stormare plays one of the best devils I've ever seen on screen. 
um, and Tilda Swinton's uh, astonishing. Uh, she just looks like an angel, so it works that she plays one. Um, totally underrated. Um, and I, I really struggled. I didn't want to recommend this film because I talk about it all the time. We've talked about it on the show before, but it's the best Patrick Swayze action movie. It's Roadhouse. Oh, uh, um, yeah. I, I didn't want to recommend it. I was trying to think of another Swayze action film, but it's easily the best one. It's got the most... Uh, Swayze, for a guy who literally, like, knew how to fight, it's shocking to me and, and like, had experience, like, you know, with choreography as a dancer. Um, it's weird to me that he didn't do more fight movies. You know what I mean? Like, he's only got... He's got the fight scene in this, uh, a couple fight scenes in this. Uh, he's got Roadhouse. I can't think of any more. I mean, Red Dawn's... And he's done other action movies, but I can't think of more where he's fighting a lot. No, um, no, I mean, I'm thinking of Next of Kin. Do you remember that? I don't movie? think I've seen that. No. Oh, it, it, he plays this Appalachian guy. He's a truck driver, I think. Okay. And uh, his family's all, you know, uh, hillbillies from West Virginia. Okay. And I, I don't remember what happens. It's a revenge story at some point, but um, hmm. it gets bad. I remember very vividly watching um, the the movie Roadhouse. Movie, no, movie Roadhouse. You see what you just did to me. I know. The I've movie, infected your brain. Uh, the drive-in movie thing with Joe Bob Briggs when he was the host. I got and, nothing for and, you. And Next of Kin was just one of the one of the films that he hosted, and he talked about how much bofu there was in it um, because he uses a bow and arrow quite a bit. I'm looking this film up right now. And uh, uh, he's, a, he's a Chicago cop. Uh, his brothers are hillbillies. This sounds fascinating. Holy shit! Liam Neeson is the bad guy in this. I'm in. Liam, I, I didn't. I forgot about Liam. Liam Neeson is the bad guy in this. Uh, I am in. I am so in. Uh, this looks fascinating. Um, but anyway, that that was the one that uh, I really wanted to go ahead and, and give some love to, even though I, I do it all the time. But because uh, I, I guess I guess Outsiders, uh, which I still need to catch up with, is you know famous for its big fight, and uh, you know obviously he's uh, famously in that film. Um, what, what about you, Dustin? What are you thinking about? Do you want to shelf this? What are some films you want to pair with it? I, I know you're going to have some much more interesting uh, pairings. For, oh, I tell you what. Uh, the other film that I did want to recommend was a recent uh, bank robbery film, and that's The Town. Okay, uh, yeah. Because they rob the bank as nuns, and that's very clearly um, – there, there's some definite homages to uh, Point Break in The Town, uh, which is another film about uh, conflicted bank robbery and uh, a film that I like quite a bit. And oh. I, I – I, I think it's Ben Affleck's best movie of the films he's directed. It's far better than Argo. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'm definitely going to also probably say it's a it's a big uh, shelf for me. I mean, okay. just, just because of my nostalgia and because of how much I love it, and I think it's just so much fun. I think it is important in terms of I think of it's a great cinema. time capsule film, too. Yeah. And uh, so there, there's a lot going on for it. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of action cinema that you've already named I think would go very, very well with it. But one of the things I was thinking about is just the way the movie looks. And uh, there was a, a moment in uh, the 80s in France mm -hmm. uh, where they had the cinema du look. And they were, um, they were the sort of uh, bigger budget. Um, oftentimes they were French language films, but they were very American in their style. They're very blockbustery mm -hmm. kind of style films. And these Cinema du Look films, uh, Luc Besson is probably the most famous uh, name amongst these. And uh, okay. I, I want to oh, re yeah. recommend a, a movie uh, called uh, The Big Blue, mm -hmm. which is um, it, it's a, and it's another one of those bromance kind of movies where two deep sea divers um, have this uh, sort of competition with one, one of them being Jean Reno. And, I'm in. I'm and, in. And uh, it, it, it there is, need to be more French action movies because they fucking they're, they're the good. ones that I've seen are just fantastic. There's you get, lots you know, of them. Sleep like films like Sleepless Night and you know District 13 and. Um, 
fuck, um, really all of Luc Besson's career, which is still this kind of Franco-American thing. But, man, I need more of them because yeah. they're all real interesting. This is less of an uh, action movie. It is, it is more it's, – it's an action movie insofar as you might say uh, Top Gun's an action movie. Yeah. The action itself, not a lot of fistfights and gunplay. It's it, Action is just sort of the tension of you know doing the athletic events and sometimes running away from one another. Those aren't real action movies, but yeah. uh, I've, I've, I'll go on this soapbox for hours. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. So it, but it, I, I get what you're saying. It, it, it is it, again. It's about a real life person. Oh, that's uh, cool. So uh, there, there's a lot going on with it, and it has this uh, sort of beautiful relationship with the sea and with mm-hmm. nature. And uh, I think it's, it's tapping into some of the similar kinds of issues that Bigelow is tapping into. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, if I were on a couch with Catherine Bigelow um, to have that conversation, that would be the first question I would ask. Is like, let's talk about Point Break. Did you see the Big Blue beforehand? And to what extent, if any, did it have an influence? Because mm-hmm. I think there might have been a really strong connection between these two films. So uh, that is uh, my recommend uh, about – Anything uh, else you want to pair with it? Because yeah. I really thought you were going to give me a whole lot to chew on and think about. No, that's all I got, man. Oh, okay. All so, right. Um, that's fair. Yeah. So um, there you go, dear listener. We like the movie a lot. We like to see what you would pair I think with it's it. super solid. And it's definitely, definitely worth your time and uh, definitely a bucket of fun. You know what else is a bucket of fun? What's that, Dustin? Uh, next week's film. It's a film that I have never seen all the way through. Are you kidding me? No. No, I'm excited. All right. So next week, we're going to take a look at a sports... One of the most watched actors in the history of this podcast. Yes. When we talk about the Mount Rushmore of good trash actors, he is in the the, the George Washington location. The founding father of good trash? I think he might be. That's, That's an interesting title to give him. It's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is uh, The Running Man. Early, early Schwartz. Yeah, early Schwarzenegger. Stephen King adaptation. The loosely. Yeah, loosely. Extraordinarily loosely. And uh, so there may be some adaptation theory that comes up next time when we talk about this because Stephen King's got a couple of these little game, little stories. And so. He's got that other one that he wrote as a. Uh... Richard Under, Bachman. Yeah, the, yeah, that one sounds awesome. Yeah, The Long Walk. Yeah. The Long Walk sounds real cool, which is uh, The Running Man meets. The Hunger Games or Something whatever. like yeah. that, yeah. So, uh, But stay tuned for that, dear mm-hmm. listener. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun talking Point Break with you, Dalton. It's been a good time. You know, we got a two-man show going here, and it's all right. It'll be all right. And uh, so, dear listener, again, uh, kick, kick us some feedback via all those magical means of social media. And most importantly, keep watching movies and having conversations with people because that's what these movies – that's what makes this really worthwhile, guys. It's more than the 90 minutes. It's more than the bucket of popcorn. It's about the conversation. So you keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genrecast is produced and edited by Dustin Sells, directed by Dalton Stewart and Dustin Sells, social media by Alex Bohannon and Dalton Stewart. Our intro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Love Fox, and our outro music this week is John Wick Mode by The Castle Day. The Good Trash Genrecast is brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Thank you.